Richie. Hey, Sin. <laughs> Richie, you're so <laughs> No, I don't know what you're talking about. This is how I've always sounded like. Richie, do it, Brutus! <laughs> Loki's regretting his life choices right now. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. Hi, Loki. Hey, Sid. Hi, everyone. Richie can't join us today, so it's just gonna be me and Loki. Yay! Before we continue, could you introduce yourself to the people who may not necessarily know you and uh, tell us what you're all about and all that? Hey everyone, my name is Loki, or at least that's my handle. <laughs> I've been a Souls fan in the English community for about four or so years now, I think. Uh, I work on translations, I talk about the localization for Dark Souls and Demon Souls, and sort of go over the differences, the problems with the localization scripts, and how they affect our understanding of the lore. Thank you, Loki. And can you tell us where people can find you and your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Loki underscore DS. That's Loki underscore DS, L-O-K-E-Y. I think it'll be in the title for the video, though. <laughs> um, and then you can also contact me via email. That's at DarkSoulsLoki at gmail.com. That's DarkSoulsLoki at gmail.com. One word. Thank you, Loki. And thank you for coming on again. You came on a few times to explain things to us, and each time was more insightful than the previous one. Oh, you're gonna make me blush. So, Loki, I've been doing research on Demon Souls lore. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah, and I'm becoming increasingly more obsessed with it. Well, yeah, we'll join the club. <laughs> <laughs> I know that a lot of the story is told through the environment. However, Demon Souls does have a few descriptions. Yes, a few. <laughs> a few, yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, some of them have translation issues a little bit. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of hard to connect lore if you don't really have the proper understanding of the items. Luckily for the Snack Covenant... We know a guy! Oh, I can't wait for you to invite him on. It sounds great. Can't wait to listen to him. <laughs> Loki, it's you! Oh, wait, what? <laughs> wait, I thought we were just here to talk about and eat snacks. What the hell? Well, I do actually have rice with me <laughs> that I'm eating as we're doing this podcast. Oh, oh, so it's okay for you to have... You know what? I'm going to go get some crackers. Look at me. <laughs> Okay, now on to more serious matters. <laughs> um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about Demon Souls and translation, I guess, misconceptions and corrections. But going through like my Demon Souls research, I kind of had a few questions I wanted you to sort of clear up for me if possible. Sure, we'll, we'll go through them in order then. Okay, excellent. So, the first questions have to do with the title of the game, Demon's Souls. Oh, yes, that, that's an awkward one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be Demon Souls, like most people would think. It can't be like Demon's Souls, the plural demons. No, it has to be Demon's Souls, the singular. It's, uh, Explain it to me. Why is it like that? 
I assume that's because it's talking about the big demon, like capital D, as in the old one. I guess it's sort of the central antagonist. Um, it's sort of the overarching like threat that exists in the Demon Souls literature. And it's a character... Well, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a character. It's more like a force that sort of exists mm-hmm. and antagonizes sort of the entire setting. Because it is basically responsible for all the other demons which plague the world. And mm-hmm. there are many questions sort of connected to that that I think you, you're you probably curious about too. Like, what is a soul and sort of what is a demon? Especially with the remake coming up, there's probably many people who've played Dark Souls and probably know a lot about that lore, which may not necessarily mm-hmm. know how that relates to Demon Souls. Right. So then, tell me, Loki, what's a soul in the context of Demon's Souls? Demon's Souls. <laughs> That's how I'm going to pronounce it now forever. <laughs> So, so Loki, tell me, what's the soul? Okay, so in Dark Souls, souls were sort of the whole shebang. It's sort of the traditional idea that everything that makes up a living being is sort of tied to the soul. Sort of the fact that you're animate, the fact that you're conscious, everything about that was sort of all tied together. And it ties in very much to, like, most people's, I think, conception of when they hear the word soul. Demon's Souls takes a little bit more unique take in that the soul, it's the power of comprehension, basically. It's the power of, of thought. It's the mind itself in simpler terms. Like, you you cannot think without a soul. You cannot reason. You cannot rationalize. You cannot sort of understand or perceive the world around you. So it's like the brain. Basically. Like, you have to think of in more abstract sense, yes. It's like the mind. It's like, because the brain, like, you know, we think the brain's the biological brain. But, like, the mind, it's sort of, it's the abstract thing. It's your consciousness, your personality, it's your memories. It's that. But it's not your life force. That's something that's very important. You can be alive in demon souls, but without a soul, you're, you're just mindless, basically. Mm-hmm. So you're like a zombie-type deal or something. So superficially... The idea is that when you are robbed of your soul, you are what is called a soul starved. You're sort of, you're starved of your soul, you cannot have it, and you're sort of searching for it. Now, superficially, this is very similar to the hollow from Dark Souls, in that Mm -hmm. the idea with the hollow is something similar, is that you are sort of devoid of your, you're starved of your soul, and therefore, um, you, you, you will become this sort of mad monster. Right. Because you cannot, you do not have any thinking. But in, in Dark Souls, the implication of the narrative is supposed to be that, you know, wait a second, if the soul is the source of life, how is it that you are anything when all your souls are sort of gobbled up? So it's like, that's sort of the question, and that's eventually answered in the Dark Souls narrative uh, for those that sort of pay attention to the lore. But then in Demon Souls, sort of the question is simply being, okay, well, why do we have these souls? What are we supposed to use them for? And sort of, how does that relate to humans versus demons? which also have and use souls for different ends than the average human. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you, Loki. Now tell me, what's a demon? No, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? In short, a demon can be defined as something beyond man. Like, that seems to be the repeated phraseology used, particularly in the Japanese script, is that there's always this idea that you are going beyond man, you've become something beyond man. And Miyazaki sort of toys with this in the narrative, in that there's this idea of that, okay, well, you, like, heroes are beyond men, like, they're beyond most or ordinary men, like, you know, they're sort of like these, like, kind of almost inhuman figures with these crazy, unbelievable feats of strength and power and all these things, right? But, But demons are also considered beyond men. They are also creatures of overwhelming power, but it's like, okay, well, God is also something that's beyond men, you know, it's this being of, like, sort of impressive power and abilities of which you oftentimes earns you reverence, and it's sort of like, 
okay, well then, if this is sort of all of these things kind of fall under the idea of what a demon could be, it's sort of this thing that it's inhuman, it's like you cannot like associate it's doing so, then really what is a demon? And the series kind of shows that it really isn't anything particular. It's essentially demon is a meaningless term. It's a byword for monster because you basically just decide what's a demon because when you don't like it. But if we were to then like sort of try to find like a technical definition of like what separates the demons we encounter in, in Demon Souls from sort of all kinds, from sort of the every other race that's not considered them, it would be the ability to rob souls from people while they're still alive. We never see this in game. The demons that we encounter in the in the setting all just try to kill us. We don't see anything like life drain with the dark rates and dark souls where they kind of like, ooh, we're gonna suck out your soul. And it's like <laughs> it's like just swap, just you know, just suck it out like a vacuum cleaner. We don't see anything like that in Demon Souls proper in the game. The game always just has all the demons or enemies serving them, sort of just try to kill us through more conventional means. But the idea seems to be that demons can essentially just like basically suck out your soul and rob you of it while you're still alive. And then you end up soul starved because you're just this living being. Your, your biology, your biological body is still functioning. Like that biological machine is still running. There's not you behind there. What makes you, you is gone. Your memories, your consciousness, your personality, as I mentioned earlier. Uh-huh. And in Demon Souls, we meet like various demons, like the Storm King, Maiden Estrella, Dragon God, Yellow Cloth, or Golden Cloth, or whatever. Yeah, the old monk boss. Yeah. So the idea with demons is also, again, going back to the idea of what really is a demon, is sort of like both from a thematic and a literal standpoint. I gave the literal definition earlier, but like the thematic idea is that there's just. Anything can seemingly be a demon. It can be something conjured from imagination. It's completely fictional. But the demons all exist because there is this fog that permeates the world from which they they sort of ravage. And everything within the fog is sort of engulfed and becomes sort of part of this, I suppose, somewhat like a dreamland. I think, to give an analogy, I think Richard would compare it a lot to sort of ideas in Bloodborne was sort of this idea of kind of like a dream world or something that's sort of a little bit more fluid in reality compared to, well, reality. (laughs) And what we see is that there's creatures which are completely conceptual, which don't exist in any real form, but they're given form within this fog, and they are sort of demons made manifest from conception. And then there's examples of demons uh, which are actual living creatures or animals, um, that wildlife that just exists, but they've sort of become demons and obtained this power to rob men of souls. And then we have cases of at least one legitimate case of humans becoming demons. So a demon isn't sort of limited by being like sort of anything in particular. Um, and demons seem to be able to be conjured from thin air, potentially. There's really no limit there. The only question then is sort of, if the demons can exist outside of the fog, which the maiden in black seems to be doing fine after the old one goes to slumber, so but she's tied to the nexus, so you could at least make a case. But there seems to be this argument, at least, that the demons all sort of are conjured from the fog, and mm-hmm. their sort of existence seems at least in some part tied to sort of the old one generating and spreading that fog across the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you something that may not have an answer. How does one learn to like obtain souls from other beings to like become a demon? All we know is that the old one is involved because 
like I mentioned earlier, there's the fog, and that seems to play a role. But if you were a human and you said, well, I want to be a demon, it seems like you have to go to the old one. And the old one would have to seemingly either willingly or just naturally sort of make you a demon and make you into an entity with this power. So, for example, the Maiden in Black has the ability called Soul Sucker. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's implication that she is, in fact, she was, in fact, one of the first demons from uh, an earlier demon scourge that ravaged the world. And in this case, the Maiden sort of, as a demon, she has this power to apparently suck out the souls, as mentioned earlier, from you while you're still alive. And this seems to be a power that we can only get it from her derive or derive from her soul but it seems to be something that you can get from basically like any demon is probably capable of this power and we see something similar with the old monk there's a a somewhat similar ability where you like absorb more souls from enemies that are slain from there that seems partially inspired by the same idea of of, like a demon but in general Mm -hmm. it's not entirely made clear like what process one goes through to get the old one to be like you know what i'll recruit you as a demon one, yeah. it doesn't seem to be picky. Um, the player <laughs> has the option at the end of the game where the entire premise to the climax of the game is that you've basically killed all of the other demons that were getting souls for the old one. And then the old one is basically like, well, shit, I need more guys. Oh, well, you know what? For sure, why not? I'll just go over and grab this guy. He sounds like he's swell enough. <laughs> Well, actually, if you put it this way, then the old one is very picky. You gotta kill all the demons before you gotta go. <laughs> I suppose to him. so, right? It's like gotta kill all the others. But yeah, it doesn't seem to really care much that you killed all of its guys. It's like, eh, you know what? Maybe you're better. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll try. It'll come out to recruit you, and then you're sort of given the option at the end of the game to decide: Are you going to actually try to put the old one back to slumber, or are you going to betray everyone who's helped you get this far? in order to acquire the the soul of the old one itself and become its new demon servant, essentially. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, if let's say you do that, you betray everyone and become the new demon servant, what's to keep the monumental from trapping you in the nexus like they did with the Maiden in Black? It seems like both you and the Maiden in Black are essentially freed after the... Um, the final uh, battle and the monumental themselves is limited in power. Like it binds you to the nexus. Let's assume that it did something similar to the maiden in black and use that connection you had in order to keep you. It doesn't seem like it has the power to last very long because in the good ending, what happens is you essentially put the old one back to slumber. And then this is sort of supposed to be a sign that you are sort of a virtuous person and that you have decided you will now sacrifice yourself essentially to become the next monumental So you'd become the new Monumental, and the idea would be that you choose, by helping the old one go back to slumber, you have decided, okay, I am a virtuous person who is going to help do the greater good for mankind. And as part of that, you are going to make the self-sacrifice to replace the old Monumental. Because the old Monumental is sort of one of many who is sort of losing power and eventually basically like be drained of all the power that's helping keep the world together. So someone new has to take up the stand and become the new person to shoulder the world. And that's sort of the idea of that ending. So if you do the bad ending, presumably the Monumental is not going to be able to be around long enough to stop you anyway. Oh, I see. 
And there are no more monumentals, so you're like, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is a good segue to talk about sort of the setting in general. We've mentioned the old one and a few other things as we've talked upon Souls and Demon's, so maybe it's a good idea to now sort of take a step back and look at what is the overall setting of Demon's Souls, if I may. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just had a vision. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know how you said you have to come to the old one to, like, ask to become a demon or whatever? I just imagine the adjudicator going to the old one and the old one being like, what the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> like, as soon as it, like, plops into existence, the old one's just like, can I get a refund? <laughs> But actually, before going to the kingdoms, I just wanted to ask you something. Mm -hmm. The term solar. So in Dark Souls, it's sort of the more traditional idea that magic's just sort of part of the universe. It's sort of like just part of existence, and it's this power force you can draw upon. In Dark Souls' case, sort of drawing upon natural principles of the world. In Demon Souls' case, all the stuff that you would associate with magic, but it's all derived from the soul. So it's derived from the power of thought. I guess, in some extent, you consider it similar to Souls and Dark Souls as it's derived from the power of, like, possibility, right? Because there is this this idea of, like, once again, going back to this idea of the conceptual and making it real, and we sort of use souls in order to cast magic, like fireballs or water veils or, um, or all these sort of other crazy um, powers using demon souls and things like that. It brings this general, unique connotation that y- your soul, which you use to think, is also being used in order to commit insane, like unthinkable acts just through your ability to comprehend and use that that sort of innate power you possess as a thinking, rational human being. And what's the trade-off to that? And again, I think that's a good where we can start talking about the wider world about souls and demons and sort of how did we all get here? <laughs> okay. How did we all get here, Loki? Oh, boy. So, (laughs) the premise at the beginning of the game is when you start up the game and you see the first cutscene, there is um, basically a statement. It's not like a quote or anything, as far as we can tell. It seems to just be a general statement of fact, is that God created the world on the first day. And like with the creation of the world, men were given souls, right? But then on the second day, God decided, I'm going to leave a poison on the world, this terrible soul-devouring demon um, on there. And then that's sort of like what you're left with when you, before you even get into like the proper introduction where you like make your character and like sort of get in there. So the soul-devouring demon, is it the old one? Yes, it's the old one. Yes. So, and we know this because the terminology like poison gets referenced again at the end of the game with King Alant when you finally encounter him. The the localization uses something like fight poison with poison, like God is merciful and he gave us the old one or something like that. But the Japanese is much more direct in saying, you know, God gave us a poison called the old one, basically. That's very direct. Yeah, it's very direct. <laughs> and that's the point, is that it's supposed to echo the opening, where it's this idea of, okay, well, God left this poison. And for those that don't know, the word poison, doku, has a, has a, a secondary connotation of malice or ill will. So there's this idea that he left a poison, and l- like how poisons are basically just a harmful substance that sort of eats away at you, it's this idea of malice. is sort of this similar thing. It's sort of this harmful thing that eats away at you. And that same connotation is being played upon here with that wordplay. Malice is used throughout the script heavily. Like, there's always this idea that the demons are malice, that there is this idea that humans commit malice, this idea of ill will, evil intentions, will 
cause all of these problems in the in the world and we're told that the old one was essentially is essentially this malicious evil demon in many ways has been sort of placed on the world on the second day so i guess the question would be well okay so why is it the god who presumably created the world and we definitely know for sure gave men souls who or what is god and then uh why is it on the second day that he left this demon on the planet there's two like general like brains of thought. One is that the opening is telling the truth that there is in fact as stated a god who did all this. And the second one is basically the idea is that that god doesn't exist. Um this is like what we read is basically like say like some scripture or something for the mainstream faith in uh demon souls and that in fact the entity that we think of as god or referenced as god is in fact the old one. Now, I subscribe to the former category, but if I can, may, I can expand a little bit on uh, sort of the idea here is that God, as presented in the setting, seems different from the God that is presented by the mainstream faith. I don't know if I want to say it's like it's a difference between like saying the God of Judaism or, or Christianity or something like that. It's more akin to the idea of just like, how do you define or what is God, right? So... If you define God as just like a being has this amazing power of which you believe deserves worship, uh, or maybe it's just a being of which you worship, is like whatever you worship a god. Because we again we see in Demon Souls several cases of entities which are worshipped as gods, which are presented in the narrative as they weren't really gods. They were sort of either imagined to be gods or sort of this sort of idea that you know they decided they were gods, but they weren't like really like in a, a any sort of inherent sense deities, right? But then we're also presented with this idea of sort of there is this this singular entity which bears many of the traits of sort of uh, of sort of like the Judeo Christian tradition's idea of a god. It's sort of this monotheistic um, entity with virtual uh, omnipotence and omniscience who can essentially sort of give man the ability to think and probably create the world and then this entity seems to exist sort of independent of any ones who believe in him so that can be defined then as god it sort of it takes more of a thomas aquinas uh sort of idea of the first mover idea of you know you go back all these ways well something had to eventually get kickstart all of this creation we see and we define that entity whatever that first mover that thing is as god right so that's the sort of the epistemological idea the other side of this would be that, okay, well, maybe God doesn't really exist. Maybe what happens is, is that God is just the old one, and he's been mistaken as God by things. Because one of the points being made in the narrative is that there's this idea that God's like divine works are miracles. And these miracles are sort of a sign from God, and they're works from God and all that. But the series seems to later seem to indicate with one character and one item description that the one responsible for the miracles are at the very least the one that uh is sort of uh the main thrust for the power behind miracles is the same one who's thrust behind magic because miracles turn out to just be another form of magic so it's not really mm-hmm. divine it's not really like sort of this unique divine power separate from the soul arts it is part of the soul arts and in that case the old one is then seen as sort of the the god the real like sort of the real face to God as the mainstream faith worships it. So then there creates this sort of disconnect that knows, okay, well, is there, was there, is there really a God? Was there ever a God? What's that doing? So my general 
take has always been to take the text at face value and trust, like sort of have an inherent trust of the text and then work from there. Um, I don't, and one of the things that you notice when you're talking about the mainstream faith, who for the sake of simplicity, I will call the temple of God, the localization uses the term church, but this isn't ever used in the script. They just call it the priesthood or the priests. So I'm just going to like, just to keep it simple, I'm just going to call them like the temple of God. Cause we know there's some temples associated with the faith. The temple of God seems to have their idea for God and all these traits and things. Like I pointed out, they seem to mistake miracles and essentially soul arts for essentially the divine power and sort of the will of God. But then on the other hand, we have this statement from the opening, which is never again presented as a quote or anything. And there's no reference or any indication that the temple of God has any scriptures or some text it's basing its beliefs on. It just seems to believe them. It doesn't really necessarily have a basis. And in my research, I think there's a specific reason for why it came to these conclusions about uh, a monotheistic de- entity of which does so, but that's maybe for later. The focus, I think, should be that I think there's a separation between the god that the temple believes in from the god that actually exists in the demon soul setting, and that is presented to us in the opening. And this god is there's some overlap in terms of like traits and things. Like it seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of ideas that they have are accidentally correct, but that's sort of the idea. Sort of like the temple of God sort of accidentally came to the quote unquote correct conclusion about what or who God is, um, and. One thing that I want to point to is sort of there's this this line from Yuria in the English script. She says something to the effect of if there is a God, he gave um, he gave us souls for thought in the Japanese script. It's actually phrased something like something called God or whatever God is, essentially. So it's more of this idea of it's not her questioning if there is a God. She seems to be assuming there is something that gave men souls. And that thing, to go back to the Thomas Aquinas analogy, is is what we define as God. And that seems to be the best way I think you could think about it, is that there's the the temple of God, which is sort of the quasi-fantasy monotheistic deity imagined by the current mainstream faith. And then there's sort of the actual sort of, okay, what about this separate entity which gave men souls? This is what we should consider the actual God here. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, so this entity, this God, is what we talk about is... He created the world, he gives men souls, and then the old one is placed on the quote-unquote second day. Now, presumably this is, like, based on the idea of, like, um, common interpretations of, like, Genesis and the Judeo-Christian tradition, and it's not, like, literal days, you know, for an entity which probably exists outside time and space, what is a day to God, right? So... Um, this idea seems to simply be the point is that, you know, day one, man was given a soul. Day two, God says, you know what, I'm going to put this soul-devouring demon on here. The implication is... Oh my god! Loki, I know what the implication is. <laughs> well, please, tell me, Sin. Oh, I, I'm ready for this. <laughs> Where are the old one's snacks? Basically, the world <laughs> is in the fit for the old one. Basically, yes. Congrats. Okay. Thank you. You're actually not off base that much. The idea is, is that God, like he gave men souls. And it's like, okay, men have souls. They can think and comprehend all of creation. Like what could possibly go wrong? And then day two, he was like, mistakes were made. Oh. <laughs> like, it's just like one day later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 24 hours later. <laughs> I should never have done this. I'm going to go make a new universe. I'll call it uh, Dark Souls. (laughs) Miyazaki is God confirmed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So God put the old one in the Demon Souls world 
is it to just like kill us all because he's like i don't like him anymore so in demon souls there is a weapon called the northern regalia and it is sort of this mysterious weapon which is made up of two blades one is called i think demon branch and the other soul branch i think i think that roughly means in German something like Soul Slayer or Soul Slasher and, and Demon Slasher. Someone can maybe correct me on the translation. But the idea is basically that the sword is made up of like sort of these two halves. So there's a duality going on with it. And it's sort of united in one as a, as a singular blade. But there's a mention its description that it's not really known about. And even in the legends of the royal family in Boletaria, which currently owns it, um, it's not really there's not really too much known about it. But what is stated is that it was left behind in the world, and the localization puts this as for malicious purposes, but the, the Japanese actually only says due to malice. So the idea is that uh, this item was left behind along with the old one, that's an important detail to point out, um, due to malice. So the idea was that thanks to malice, God seems to have left not just the old one, a poison which was going to sort of devour men of all their souls, turn us into their snacks. <laughs> uh, like, mm -hmm. all your minds, mine. <laughs> um, but but uh, not only do that, but there was also going to be this idea that God seems to have also left behind this blade. And this blade is interesting because the blade has the two halves of the blade each do their own thing. So one is it gets stronger, essentially, the more human-like your soul is. And the other gets more more powerful, the more demon-like your soul is. And both are, of course, like, the idea being a soul brand is more effective against slaying humans with their souls as if you were a demon, so it gets stronger as you're a demon. And Demon Brand is a weapon which gets stronger as you're more human-like, and it's good at slaying demons. So the idea being is that, okay, so you could go one of two ways. And there's another item called the Foe and the Friend's Ring. Uh, friend and Foe. And the idea with these rings is that the Friend's Ring... I forget the exact wording in the in the English, but the Japanese text essentially uh, puts it that it's based on you having a human relationship, and it's based on you sort of becoming a good blue spirit, you know, help out others, and be generally a benevolent, beneficial force in the world, right? And then the foe's ring, the English words it as something like, oh, you know, it's, it gets, it's sort of linked with treachery, but what the Japanese actually says is it's linked with having a beast relationship. For those who are probably unaware, the old one is called in the Japanese version the old beast or the ancient beast. So so when it's referencing that, it's making very clear. It's the idea that you are like the beast, the old one. You are a demon. You become something which does harm to men for the benefit of you, but at the cost of others. So it's the idea of, of you can either help yourself while helping others, or you can help yourself at the expense of others. And that's what the foe's ring does, and you become a dark spirit who like invades and kills and you know ravages and all that stuff. So there's this idea that to be more human is to be more good, and to be more beast is to be more evil. And many fans of Bloodborne can probably already see where Miyazaki, <laughs> Miyazaki is in his creative <laughs> when it comes to his narrative themes. Um, so, but the idea is very much there. This this notion that um, sort of uh, the more bestial, the more inhuman you act, the more evil you are, and therefore the more demonic you become, and therefore you become more aligned with the old one. So it seems like God left humanity with a choice. He left humanity the old one, and he left humanity the northern regalia, which sort of has this duality and has this inherent message of, okay, you choose. Are you going to be ones who? who commit evil or commit good. So the implication seems to be is that man was given souls to think, 
And one of the points Yuria makes is that the soul arts shouldn't exist. Magic shouldn't be a thing because whatever God is, he gave us the souls to think, for thought, for us to comprehend and rationalize and be sort of um, thinking, you know, beings. But instead, we use them for magic and all these things that can potentially harm because magic is you know a tool in in a sense but the idea seems to be is that humans always get greedy and we always want more and we always end up deciding we're going to harm one each other for it and use this power in order to do so so we're essentially using the power our power to think our power to rationalize in order to harm one another and when we do that god was like oh god no what what are you all doing this is it's (laughs) this isn't what i wanted so he's like okay I'm just going to drop this giant trash can here. I promise it won't do anything. I just have to, it has this nice little vacuum function. So if you guys don't push this button, but if you do because you're greedy little sons of bitches, <laughs> I can't promise your safety. Okay, I'm out of here. Oh no. Well, that seems to be the idea is that the creator of the world left man a choice. He he gave mm-hmm. you the ability to think. He saw that you abused that power to think in order to hurt one another. And then he's like, okay, fine. If so, I'm leaving this, and you have the choice. If you keep doing this, you are essentially going to destroy yourselves. You're eventually going to wake this this monster, and then it's going to devour all of your souls. And you know what? We're just going to go back. I'm just going to, you know, t- it's, it's take backsies. I'm getting my, <laughs> I'm taking it, but it's like, you, you, you don't get to have your souls anymore, humans. Oh. Yeah. So that seems to be the the intent behind putting the old one on the planet. And so time goes by, and I divide demon souls into three eras, essentially. So we have the the mythic era, which is sort of like analogous to the uh, sort of like the the heroic age of like classical mythologies and things, you know, like you have Her- Hercules and Achilles and Odysseus and all these sort of like heroic figures and demigods who ha- like perform these crazy traits that are, be- dare I say, beyond human, sort of these inhuman crazy abilities with like magic and like or just physical strength and stuff like that. And we see something similar in Demon Souls. There's various references to characters from like a seemingly early- the earliest period in history where they were these legendary heroes who could do similarly like crazy stunts so these heroes they were demons then depending on how you look at it yes maybe um so for example there is big m and the legend of big m is that he the japanese only says dragons but what the sorry the english only says dragons but the japanese text clarifies that um he basically spent his time beating up dragon servants like he the idea (laughs) In fact, one of the things I go over in my Stonefang analysis is I think that the M in Big M is supposed to be man. Like, the idea was he was the big man. And there's this general sense for the area that it revolves around sort of like this hyper-masculinity, macho man image. And it's like, I'm big and I'm strong. And, uh, you know, I am I'm a true man. I'm a real man because I fight people with my fists. And, we, you know, well, honest, you know, because, you know, you know, because only true honorable men fight with their fists. They don't fight with those swords and guns and all those things. Like, we're just going to go for some fisticuffs. You know, it sort of it takes all those sort of like mass hyper masculine uh, stereotypes, and sort of like that seems to be the idea of epitomized with Big M is he was like sort of this fist of the North Star type of fighter, and he ended up just basically beating up dragons and slaughtering them to death. Um, oh my god! And let me ask you, who was Big M? Like, do we find him in game ever? Uh, we to an 
extent we probably do and th that we could talk about that a little later <laughs> but yeah so but the idea is like to give an example is like we have these characters like big m whoever these heroic figures like very much like sort of like um jason and the argonauts type of deal where we have all these sort of like crazy feats being performed and then at the end of all of it um as we as mentioned we have the case of like the northern regalia gets left behind and all these things and that seems to be the end of the era it seems to just be like humans kind of went crazy with like all this like crazy power and they did all this crazy shit um and imply implicit in again implicit in god's reaction is that they were doing some nasty immoral stuff on top of that and then um he, it's like sort of the biblical age of the nephilim when the sons of god marries the daughters of men and all this and sort of um you have all these uh heroic like demigod like figures running around and then at the end of all that um god's just like okay you know what no no like noah get the boat <laughs> so the old one essentially facilitates sort of the idea of the noah's flood but it's a little bit more optional it's sort of it's not like you know what i'm just gonna wipe the slate clean it's sort of like you know i might wipe the slate clean i'll leave it up to you to decide are you gonna still be shitheads? <laughs> and then that's the mythic age as i do and that seems to end then we seem to enter what basically a pagan era which is this pagan age is essentially defined as you have all these sort of like i guess the best analogy would be okay now we're in proper classical antiquity with like the greeks and the romans and sort of all these so the ancient egyptians sort of all these sort of old civilizations with like sort of their own conception of of the divine and magic and all these things and they ha each of these cultures sort of do their own um thing and then this era seems to end with what the localization terms the first scourge this isn't actually a term in the japanese script it's just referred whenever like sort of the demon like events are referenced it's always talked about as like a disaster or a calamity but let's use the localization term for simplicity's sake. So then the first scourge, quote-unquote, occurs. And this event is seemingly the event where basically humans got so greedy as they like they had their own like idea of magic right so they're these fragmented cultures and they're not as strong as seemingly in the mythic age era but eventually they're still like they're still like you know playing you know using souls for stuff other than thought <laughs> they're still using magic so then the answer becomes okay well eventually and this goes back to the monumental the monumental civilization had become the crown of the world essentially huh. and in that um, in that capacity, the Monumentals decided, you know what? Well, let's go to the next level. Let's wake up this giant eldritch abomination that just happens to be on the bug. You know, like, what could possibly go wrong? And, well, the old one woke up and said, you know what? <laughs> time to eat! <laughs> snack time! <laughs> nom, 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 nom. You should invite the old one to the snack covenant. I'm sure he would be charmed. Oh my god! Yes! <laughs> pause <laughs> i see the checkers playing out in that brain of yours <laughs> anyway so um so then the first scourge ends up occurring and then at the end of that we get the third period which is i i term it as the medieval era this is when we start seeing sort of the classical medieval european fantasy style um setting that we're familiar with in demon souls proper which um, is sort of characterized by being a land that up until recently was basically absent of the soul arts. And in this sort of soul art-less era that the Monumentals banned after the events, because, you know, they realized, you know what? I think we learned our lesson now. <laughs> and during this sort of like magicless era, um, men sort of develop and we see the rise of the Temple of God and we see um, the rise of Bulataria and uh, various other uh, sort of uh, civilizations that seem to have rebuilt or or been uh, 
formed after the after the events of the first scourge and then finally we get to the second scourge in demon souls proper and that's where we start the game a few years into that um how many years do you think passed uh between like the different eras you mean yeah how many years are there between each era so the the mythic era is sort of like the age of chivalry like it's always sort of it's always the time before like it's like oh if only things would be like back back in the good old days of king arthur and the knights of the round table and all the honorable thing it's like okay well when was that you know it was before then they were like no it was more back then oh well when are we gonna get why well, wish it was back to that age it's okay well did it ever ever did it ever happen so um the idea being is that the mythic age seems to have been so far back we can't really date it precisely. Um, I've come out on a podcast previously and said that I think I date the pagan era, at least its end, to about uh, 300-ish years ago, based on several item descriptions that, at least in the Japanese script, are a little more specific and then some inferences about uh, generations and things like that regarding characters and, and lineages and families and things stuff. Maybe we'll talk about that in more detail later. But the events of the current setting, which is like when the second scourge starts and then before we enter the fog and sort of become like, you know, in the game proper, that seems to be like around like five-ish years have passed. There's several mentioned that it's been, there's one, there's, so there's one case of an event occurring, quote unquote, many years ago. And then there's other things about characters that have only arrived, again, these are several years ago. So there's this idea that some characters have only like entered and like, or done things of relevant note a few years, so like two or three ish we're talking about. And then others seem to have gone a little bit further. So we're thinking like, you know, four to five ish. Right. And it seems like generally it's been less than a decade since then. And that the major events where like magic comes back and stuff, it's been like maybe two to three decades since that point. So so we're thinking something like, uh, I guess in terms of like the whole like events that get referenced for most of the setting, most events we talk about in the game occur within half a century. Okay. So I have a question for you about the era where the monumentals lived. Okay, sure. Basically, we find out information about the past, some of it from the monumental that we meet in the Nexus. And they explained to us in the English intro that in the distant past, under a benevolent rule, the world was united owing to the soul's arts. But you say that's not exactly what it says in the Japanese intro, right? Yeah, so there's no mention of it being like, oh, this benevolent rule. So I'm assuming the localization threw that in because they want to like either highlight the monumental's arrogance or something to that effect but we're never told like oh yes the things were so great like it was like a utopia when we were like in charge all we're really told in specific detail about the events of the monumentals is just that basically they seem to have essentially controlled the world now one thing to question is of course what is like what what do you mean by world right there's several times we've used the term world in demon souls and we've used um several different ways like it's not like strictly oh you know the whole planet so to speak right so like one idea and this comes up in dark souls too is this idea of the world of man which is essentially just it's essentially just a, a poetic way of saying like human society right so like every like every place where human civilization exists we call that collectively as the world of man so it becomes sort of this question of when we're talking about the world do they mean it do they mean like sort of the known world or are we talking about like the world world right so that's something that comes uh, an important question because one thing we know in demon souls setting is that there's this continent right that we seem to exist on and but there's other lands other like faraway countries that exist outside of the immediate setting and this idea is that oh well all, most of the world was supposedly destroyed 
or like sort of sucked up and like disappeared into the fog during the first scourge. But and then like they sort of took what little quote unquote little of the lands remain. But there's lots of lands and lots of countries that seem to have existed and continue to exist, and in some cases seem to continue to have existed using magic well before the present setting that we know of rediscovers magic. So there's this this strange implication of okay, well, so was it really like the whole world in truth? Or are you talking about is this like a old world, new world, like European centric type of deal where it's like you know like everything that we know about on the map we consider that the world. World. And then, like everything else, or beyond it, we like it, it doesn't exist. You know, it's like it's just like infinite ocean or something, or like something like say the Far East and stuff. So it's like it, it, that, that's something that's worth questioning and I think discussing. And in for in the community, and then one other thing that's worth noting about the monumentals and the rule is just that it doesn't necessarily seem to be that their rule, their control of the world was good or bad. Maybe they like actually like conquered all the territory. Maybe they were just ruling through like proxies and things like that, um, or they just had like hegemony, like sort of like kind of like all these like other nations were that maybe have existed. Um, Cause we know that there was other cultures and civilizations that seem to have existed alongside the monumentals. They don't seem to have been like part of monumental uh, society or culture. Right. Um, yeah. So it seems like the monumental, at least as, ex- as explaining it is being very liberal with her speech. Mm-hmm. The monumental also explains that to sort of like, I guess, save what's left of their land they place these nodes and use this arch stones yeah the arch stones are a arch stones are sort of like critical because they're how we get around the world like they're sort of they're basically our bonfire warp points essentially mm-hmm. like the idea was that instead of having like i guess pro- i guess that you could think of them as like proper checkpoints like bonfires but they're a little bit more limited compared to how bonfires were done because like the idea with demon souls was you would have separate like game worlds and the, they would just all be connected through a hub world but then um in in practice the idea is that the monumentals had these um they call them arch stones and we see um if you see like the cutscene and like the actual stones there's this like green like gem like thing that seems to be the actual quote-unquote stone with like the magic power and all that that's being used we see that in the the ritual during the cutscene, and it, we see them in each of the stones which have these like unique reliefs related and each of these stones they're called arch stones but like the word in the japanese is um keystone basically like the idea is like it uses the kanji for necessity or need or requirement or stuff like that so the idea seems to be like these were uh these were just like essential stones for quote-unquote uh binding the world together Mm-hmm. And the areas that these stones binded were Stonefang, Boletarius Palace, Tower of Latria, Valley of Defilement, Shram of Storms. Uh-huh. So and- those are the names of the areas proper. But it's but like yeah. the area yeah, so that's the name like so it's Stonefang Tunnel, I think yeah, like you said, Bulletarian Palace, it's like Royal Castle in the Japanese, Tower of Latria or Latria of the Tower, Valley of Defilement or the Dirty or Unclean Valley, uh Shrine of Storms, like stuff like that. So all of these are basically referring to like specific aspects or areas I think that the devs wanted to focus on. But the idea, for example, in Stonefang Tunnel is that Stonefang was a place. It wasn't just like a tunnel or tunnels. It was um it was like sort of this actual city like sort of city-state country that existed. And the same thing with Boletaria Palace. There's not just the palace, there's an entire Boletaria, we actually see in the distance a Boletaria city, similar to Stonefang, and it was part of this large country. It's referred to several times as a large country or a major power. So the idea is basically Boletaria is sort of like the, lo- the local superpower of the region, right? 
And then you have Latria, which seems to be another country there in the area. And then Valley of Defilement seems to, again, just be a valley that seems to be there. And then Shrine of Storms is sort of like a ritual place for like a, the now defunct Shadowman religion, which exists on like an island. And we can actually see, get an idea of where these places are, thanks to environmental details, as well as a few things in the, like the localization scripts. And I've started looking at maybe trying to map this area, like based on, because in the opening cutscene, to put it simply, there's a lot of like abstract imagery and I've talked about this idea before, is that I'm not sure how seriously to take some of the imagery in the introductory cutscene, because a lot of it is very abstract. Like, for example, there's like there's a part where they talk about the old ones. They put up like a concept of the old one, and it basically shows a bunch of like human spirits sort of like there with the old one. And we never really get a sense of that ever being a thing in the game proper. There's also on the side, like Latria's like gargoyles are also there for some reason. So like, it just seems to be like very abstract early cuts of concept art where they're like, oh, we're talking about the old one. Okay, just grab this thing of the old one and just like slap it on there. And then it's like, oh, we're talking about like Boletaria or the world. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we got this nice like artwork of like this giant city vista. Is there any part of place particular? Or maybe it's like Boletaria or something? I don't know. Okay, just throw it in there. <laughs> so like, so like, yeah, there yeah. just seems to be a lot, like a lot of stuff that's it's not really like specific or like directly record. Like, there's nothing like you go like, oh yeah, that's definitely Boletaria. Like you look at there, it's like doing so. Some people have likened like say some of the cities to like Boletaria, or some have said, oh, that's the monumental civilization or stuff. But it's never really clarified or mentioned. It never really comes up again. So I don't know how seriously I should take some of that opening art, right? Um, like there's one scene where it's just like a woman with like a deer in like the middle of like some ruins. Yeah, yeah. 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 and it's like, uh, like. It, it really has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> and it's like, it's even funnier because it has nothing to do with anything, even in the context of the cutscene it's happening. Like, they're just listing off names of characters who enter the fog. It's just like, oh, uh, we have this lady who kind of looks like she may be journeying. So it's like, uh, okay, well, yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the Maiden in Black tells us at some point that the Keystones are holding Northern Boletaria together. Yeah, so so there's several statements on this. The idea is that when the the first so basically the monumentals had this great civilization, right? But then they got greedy and they decided we're going to awaken the old one because we want to continue to sort of advance our our knowledge and study of the soul arts, right? And so sort of the old one is sort of this ultimate being. As referenced earlier, um, it has this unique power to energize. Like, it's not responsible for magic. Magic seems to exist even while it's slumbering. Like, you can still do it and perform it, and, we, and that's been well demonstrated in the series. But the idea seems to be that once you wake up the old one and it starts spreading the fog and stuff, it has this ability to energize magic. Like there's this reference to like sort of the ideas, like sort of like things get like sort of the power of magic gets stronger in the lands that the old one is sort of possessing, I guess you could say, or haunting. Um, and these sort of lands that it's trying to consume end up eventually disappearing. So what seems to happen is that you're in the fog, right? Like, fog sort of has this, like, like from a thematic idea, the fog sort of blurs, like, your vision, right? So you can't really see things clearly, if at all. But then, when that happens, it seems that thematically Miyazaki goes for this idea that fog sort of blurs the line, but it sort of blurs the line between reality and conception. So, like, uh... The idea of, like, demons that come out, like, they were completely imaginary, but now they, they're they real now, because the fog seems to have, to some extent, sort of blurred the line and uh, extracted from that to manifest uh, a being into reality, sort of an idea into reality. In the case of, sort of, the old one and the monumentals, they simply decide, okay, we're going to wake it up and try to create all these things, and then when the old one sort of wakes up, it 
consumes these lands in it, they create the demons. The demons then rise up, devour everyone's souls. And then in a world when, when once all the souls in an area gets devoured, that land loses comprehension because, well, if you don't have a soul, it's sort of this sort of that quantum idea idea of sort of like you can like the reality only exists because you're able to confirm with your senses that it does exist right it's like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear yeah exactly it. so the idea is basically once souls are gone from the world but once the power to comprehend the surrounding world is gone that world seems to then disappear into the fog and is permanently sort of erased from existence let me ask you, once the world disappears into a fog, what happens to all the demons? Uh, we don't know what happens to the demons. It may just be that they just spread and go to other lands then. So it might have been the case of, like, let's say, for example, Storm King and all his little children decide it's going to, um, you know, we've sucked up all the souls from the area. Now the Shrine of Storms area is completely gone. Like the ocean, the island, everything just sucks, has been absorbed into the fog, and it just, it doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that all happens. Well. It just is going to fly over, I guess, to Stonefang or something, right? Like, so it's going to just, like, go over to the next land. Like, the general idea seems to be is, like, yeah, they're going to suck up all the souls. And once they're done, they're just going to move on. And, like, for example, the old one is codenamed in the files the diffused one in Japanese. So this idea of, like, you know, it, the fog spreads and it diffuses across the lands, right? And we the first boss we fight, it's called just Vanguard in English. In Japanese, it's referred to as the diffused Vanguard. So it's this idea that it's spreading and going. So it seems like the idea behind making this the first boss was that when you first enter and you seem to be like on the ends of the earth basically like or i guess ends of the earth inside the fog i should say right yeah when that happens you meet a creature which has apparently been spreading either with the fog or um just spreading around as the fog gets larger and it's just sort of like oh you know it's just moving around and again we see another diffused vanguard in uh shrine of storm so this idea is that they, they get around <laughs> <laughs> So, like, let's say the whole world has been devoured, all the souls are eaten, fog is everywhere. What happens to the demons then? Do they just starve? Who knows? Um, God might basically decide, you know what, I'm going to keep you on this planet, I'm going to remake everything. Like, we don't really know because the series doesn't do it and we've never had a Demon Soul sequel. <laughs> well, we might now with the remake, Loki. Anything's possible. It's true. It's true. But you know, now, now Miyazaki's got Elden Ring. He doesn't care about Demon Souls anymore. <laughs> he doesn't care about Elden Ring. Where is it? <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> no, but... Uh, uh, yeah, so it seems to be the idea is that the world is just going to basically be consumed. And then presumably, God might be like, you know what? I'm going to restart creation now. Like, we don't really know. Because th like, th there's nothing in the setting to kind of tell us what the entity known as God. I think ideally, ideally the god would like none of that to happen and just like you know get your act together humans and like stop being little shits <laughs> i think that's what would be the preferable answer whether or not that happens is completely up to us <laughs> mm -hmm. so that seems to be the the general idea but then okay so going back to the point about the monumental and the keystones and the archstones the idea seems to be that okay so the world is sort of all sucked up and then what's left of the world afterwards needs to start being kind of like tied together in order to kind of keep, I guess the idea is to keep reality sort of cognizant. So it's not like you have all these like negative spaces and like everything sort of like warped and distorted because, you know, something, some things don't exist. So the concept seems to have been, okay, let's have it where 
we give like these countries, particular countries, these special stones. And the idea is that these stones are going to serve as basically anchors in reality. So one thing you'll notice if you look at the arch stones in the game worlds you go to, not the ones at the, the Nexus, but at the arch stones proper, like in the world, um, you'll see like a sword is stabbed in them. So there's the sword of the stone imagery. Um, but the, the core, like the actual stone at the bottom of it is actually this sort of like it's shaped like a head. Um, it's like this taper head. So it's like, I, I forget if it's what the species is called, but it's like a horn taper, basically. Now, this is a common um, symbol of, like, it's a common depiction of the the Baku, which is basically, a, I guess to put it simply, like a Japanese, like, dream-eating spirit. Not to be confused with the Baka? I'm sorry, the Baka, Baku. Yeah, I know. I was making a joke. Oh, okay. well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta screen these buff by me beforehand, otherwise I'm not gonna get it. <laughs> Thank you. This is why we need Richard, so that way he could be the one who responds to your to your questions. To your... Richard's response would have been like, <gasps> <gasps> "No sin, it's not a baka." <laughs> so the idea with the baku is that it's a dream, basically a dream eating spirit, and to put it simply, and then the the this ties in nicely with its purpose because the idea of course is that you have this fog which is sort of sucking up the world and sort of like blurring the lines between anchor and reality and then it's sort of like this conceptual like dreamland as i've described sort of kind of similar to bloodborne mm-hmm. and then you have sort of the this sort of like stone shaped like a baku so you kind of have this idea of like you know it's devouring the dreams like it's the anchor which is sort of cutting like sort of cutting through this fog and making sure that no 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 land you are going to stay here <laughs> like you're stay you're still existing <laughs> Um, let me ask you, why did these lands specifically get the Archstones and not other lands? Um, part of it seems to be that they were that they seem to have been some of the only lands left. Like I said, this depends on how you interpret the monumental saint mm-hmm. world. Like if it's the like the whole actual world, these might have been literally the only countries left. If you interpret it instead as just being um uh like the known world at the case, it may just be that like again, every other like basically everything else in the region was basically gone. And then like, okay, we gotta stitch up what's left and keep it together in order to hold reality. So not everything like mm-hmm. like not all causality falls apart when the fall after the fog is gone. And the answer what's like once all of that happened was that Okay, we're gonna give it to you, 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 and you. Okay, so we've banned the soul arts. No one used magic. We've put the old one to slumber in the nexus. Everything's good. So there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. But first, uh, Loki, do you remember in Bloodborne there are the Dreamlands? Yes, I'm vaguely aware. One of these days, I will actually play Bloodborne <laughs> and actually know its lore inside and out. You are my nice. resident Bloodborne expert right now, Sin. Feel proud. <laughs> Yay. And you know how, for example, there's the Hunter's Dream, right? Yes. And it's basically this, I guess, a little mini island that's floating in all this fog. Uh-huh. And like when you go to other dreamlands or nightmares, they seem to be floating or whatever, surrounded by all this fog. And that's what you made me think of when you were like talking about how the world is all separated because like some stuff has been dissolved by the fog yeah that might be how it actually is going by like miyazaki's track record of sort of like repeating uh, like he likes to a lot of things we know he noticed when we go through like sort of different games is that even when miyazaki sort of changed up the narrative or changes up all the specifics he has a habit of going through and sort of like expanding on ideas he's had in past works he's done it's sort of like it's still on his brain like anyone who's like seen like 
gone from like Dark Souls 1 to Bloodborne to Dark Souls 3. You can see how the man sort of like kind of keeps these ideas and he brings them into other series like at the forefront. And so like like he play he does Bloodborne and then he still has blood on the brain. So he starts a lot of things in Dark Souls 3, <laughs> either intentionally or accidentally, just end up ha- tying in a lot with blood and things like that. Like that just becomes the imagery um, a lot of times. And it may be a case that when he's working on stuff like Bloodborne and things, and Richard has talked about before, I'm sure with you, and I don't know with me for sure, that there seems to be some connections that they had, like, they were definitely at least heavily inspired by Demon Souls when working on Bloodborne, especially in the early stages. So there may have been this idea that, okay, we're going to do something like similar to kind of like maybe with like the idea of like all the worlds are sort of like distant and dissolved and like it's sort of these like little pocket dimensions you could do. And maybe he was trying, he was having like a similar idea of, oh, maybe we could do it like how I thought of it. Like, like, who knows? But yeah, so one idea, though, with since you bring that up is that the the one of the quote unquote like sort of lands that we are dealing with ends up being the nexus itself because um, it's this temple and if i recall correctly um you had asked me at some point that you were wondering like sort of how exactly like what would be the proper name for it mm-hmm. but we're not there yet oh we're not there yet oh okay. we're not even close to being there yet i feel like loki has never done a podcast with specifically me this is gonna take a while loki oh boy oh. we're going in order okay <laughs> so let's <laughs> so so let me ask you uh, something I forgot to ask before. So the Stone Fang and like Latria and Valley of Defilement, Trino Storms, are they part of Boletaria? Okay, so here's something that's that's actually good to clarify. No, 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 nothing except Boletaria is part of is at least explicitly part of Boletaria, right? So Loki. When we get to the Nexus, the Maiden in Black informs us that the Archstones are there to basically keep Northern Boletaria together. Could you elaborate on that? Okay, so this is actually something that's extremely important to clarify because uh, that's actually in the localization where it's, it says that like that. Um, the actual mm-hmm. wording in the Japanese text is a little different. It's a, kind of an important nuance. Um, <laughs> what she basically says is, is that the Nexus is basically sort of being keeping Boletaria together itself. So, like, it's not talking about, like, all the places we do, so, like, all the individual art stones. It's saying that the Nexus is the, quote-unquote, cornerstone. So it's the actual kanji for, uh, like, again, I brought this up with the keystones, the idea of necessity or doing so. And the word idea being is that it's a cornerstone. It's sort of, it's the it's the necessary piece which sort of is holding Boletaria so it doesn't disappear into the fog, right? Because all the demons are going to devour all the souls and everything, and then there'll be nothing except oh. the art stones. But does it mean it's also the necessary piece for Latria and Valley of Defilement? Yes, you could argue. The idea, though, is that Boletaria is basically the big country. Like, most of what's in the fog is Boletaria. So the implication is that Boletaria is this large country, and it's the source of where the fog is in the second scourge. So it's sort of the one that's the most affected. But there are these other countries and other lands which are on the border. None of them are explicitly said to be of Boletaria, but they're at the very least under its hegemony, right? So, like, they, like they, they're under its influence due to proximity, because once again, taking that sort of superpower, like, U.S.-China ideas, that, you know, all the lands around it. Like the USSR, you mean? USSR, yeah. But the idea would be is that uh, uh, all these, like, sort of, like, big superpower nations, they're obviously gonna, you know, they're gonna exert some influence on their neighbors, right? Like, they're tiny, you know, they're ti- the little puny country. Um. <laughs> Can 
canonically Boletari is the union now. Excellent. You know, you know what? There's the northern limits there too, and you know you could just think of that as just basically the top of Russia. <laughs> it's like Siberia. Okay. It's like Siberia. You go to where the giants are in Siberia. <laughs> oh no, the gulag is broken. Ay, ay. So, no, but the idea is basically that uh, Boletar is this large country, and in fact, I've done work on uh, working to try to get a map going. Right. So, mm-hmm. in Dark Souls, we don't really get like a full like world map or anything like that. We don't ever get that. But in Demon Souls, like I was talking about with the introduction before before we got off track a little bit, was that the there is one image that I've been investigating to see if we can consider it a reliable source on on map. And I'm sort of leaning on yes, but like I'm still I'm still I'm still not a hundred percent sure. But at the very least, it's worth thinking about. And let me bring that up quickly so that way we can look demons. Mm-hmm. So, could you tell me what land each number corresponds to? Okay, so one would be marked as Boletaria Palace, two would be marked as Stonefang Tunnel, three would be marked as Tower of Latria, four would be marked as Shrine of Storms, five would be marked as Valley of Defilement, and six would be marked as the Cut Northern Limit area. Excellent. Thank you, Loki. Perfect. So, for simplicity's sake. So, and it's it's this is something that we don't really get a fear, clear image of in the introduction. It's very quick, it's very forgettable, but it's the only real um image that sort of takes has any like sort of seemingly basis in like actual what we see here. So, one of the things that we look at through geography of the various areas we explore and the actual what's the word items and stuff like the environmental details um, helps to sort of define okay where are all the various places so on the map here I sort of have this the first one is at the center seems to be Boletaria because again it's sort of it's sort of you know it's sort of ground zero for where the fog is and obviously everything else that gets captured in the fog other than Boletaria would have to be somewhere around or near Boletaria so it makes sense that it would be the spot that you know we have it smack dab in the middle of the map here and you can actually see Boletaria is like um, when we first spawn into the area in front of the palace, right, like we're at the entrance gate, uh-huh. we see that there's a river running through and that river flows all the way down and there's a t- city, which seems to be like the Boletaria city proper, like the capital, um, at the um, down the river. And then past that is a large lake, like it's really far in the background, but it's this huge like lake that you can see sort of on uh-huh. the horizon in the distance there. So this idea is that the river sort of travels down to a lake. And if we look closely at the map, for for the audience who can see this right now, it's at point one that I have here, is that we see this there is in fact a lake with a uh at the end of a river here. And we can actually see something that looks kind of like a city or a castle sort of like little marker along the river here, around the same area where Boletaria Palace is. So this seems to be at least this area seems to be accurate to what we end up seeing in game, right? Uh, then Stonefang Tunnel seems to be located somewhere on the east side of Boletaria. So there's several items related to the east. There's, um, I think it's called the Chris, no, no, Chris Blade in English, right? Yeah. So it's this crit. It's basically a Chris. Now for those, I think if I remember correctly, a uh, Chris is an Indonesian dagger, and it's re- associated with rituals and things like that. And in the game, it's portrayed as like a magical dagger for like conjuring and things like and rituals and symbol similar. Like si- basically, it's similar. It seems like there is a proxy for like the in- Indonesia in the same way that there is a proxy for Japan in Demon Souls and pretty much every Miyazaki game except Sekiro because then it is the setting. <laughs> 
Um, but like um, the idea being is that it looks like there, and we find various from again proxy Japan. There's also like Master's Ring, Ronings Ring. We find several items located there. It's not as heavy as another area we'll talk about quickly. But the idea seems to be is that okay, Stonefang seems to be having some contact with the quote the far east, so to speak. If you look at the map, you can see there's another continent on the far right area. So it seems like okay, there is in fact a a more lands and that would have more, obviously more countries and more peoples there, right? So. Um, so we get where like okay, not Japan probably comes from like that that continent or somewhere over there and stuff like that. Um, and then we get into okay, well, Stonefang proper. When we go to the area, we're at the mine, and the mine is on this mountain, and like on the end of the mountain where we can face away from the mountain on, we can immediately see there's this large city, right? And it, the city is once again being placed alongside along a river. Um, and it's not really, I think, visible because the mountains are in the way, but the river actually does split into two, I guess it forks in two. And then from there... Uh, we can see on the map where two is. We see again a little marker for a like a city or a town, like some kind of little like uh little like symbol there. And then on a river, right before the fork is, just like how it appears in game. And if you actually look closely, you see there's a bulletarian carriage, uh, sort of like there's a destroyed bridge over a can a small canyon, and that bridge has like a bulletarian carriage which is broken down and fallen. We don't see the horse there or anything, so I, I guess he fell. Um, but the <laughs> The carriage is the same ones we see in the Boletarian Palace area. So it's the same place that's go like going to the castles and stuff. What's interesting is if we take this map as gospel, that carriage falls and the road the carriage took curves around the mountain in the same direct general direction as where we have one on this map so it looks like okay we have this land this sort of city in the east along a river that forks in this mountainous kind of region on the east side and then it has a bulletarian carriage which is actually traveling to or from the same direction that uh bulletaria is as we've determined on this map so it's like okay now we're, we're getting somewhere right Latria is perhaps the the hardest one to like put pinpoint an exact location on because it's the only area that's set up in like complete darkness of night. So, um, in fact, if fans like look at stuff like there's this idea that they have where they have all these like towering like skyscraper almost like uh, distant. Uh, structures in the horizon right and the idea is that you have all this like city skyline you can't really clearly see it's just like this black silhouette um but what the game developers did to save on time and money was just you know get these like earth towers and they basically just sculpt the land to make these like giant earth rock towers out of it <laughs> you can't tell because it's so dark at night um but it looks like this area, which is generally uh, just sort of black. Uh, we try to look at the idea of maybe there be like a lake or a, a river connection to um, air, but that doesn't seem to have panned out, at least nowhere logically. And it's not really visible anything that you can see again in the distance or anything like that. So it just seems to be all we can say for certain is that Latria is somewhere south. There's a lot of items related to the south that are connected there. So it seems to be somewhere s sandwiched between the south, like generally the southern countries and Boletaria. So it's somewhere between there. And I put it in where you see three, generally where we again see some like symbols marking what looks like some like settlement structure. Four, we see this big island on the core that's about equidistant right. from either continent, right? Yeah. And this seems to be where Shrine of Storms is. Because mm -hmm. Shrine of Storms is this steep island that's like solitary, isolated, you can't see any islands in the distance. The lore is very clear in, in description of some archstones 
that there's just this island and there's like it's isolated away it's remote there's nothing else like around for anyone to like swim to or go to so this is the best area that makes the candidate and the thing is there is a heavy amount of eastern stuff here like a sword that originates from ethiopia but there's tons of japanese items like kunai and, and various things like that and katanas and things like that there's just tons of stuff related to the east that we find there even greater degree than stone Fang, which makes sense because again it's the most significant land mass bridging between these two giant continents so it makes sense that this area would be the one that would have the most content with the east compared to stone Fang, which has mild like it has a few but it's relatively mild right then we get to valley of defilement well we see this giant craggy valley like area on the le- west side of the map once again this seems like an easy pick and again it makes sense because again boletaria is the center so all of these places have to be somewhere around like sort of where boletaria could like emanate the fog out of and then finally we have six and six seems to be the cut northern limit area because for fans who don't know there is a japanese prologue that was on the japanese website as far as i'm aware it never got localized over in any fashion to the west if i recall correctly demon souls was actually originally only released in japan and then it was only later brought over to english yeah among the things that didn't get translated over with all of this there was this idea that the north and again, keep in mind, like, north for Boletaria, which is already in the north, apparently, if we go by all, everything else, it's like, oh, it's the northern country. Um, but, like, the idea being is that there is this hinterland of icy mountains, which we can see here on the map in the northern area, at least the, the mountainous part. Presumably they have snow. But the idea is that you sort of have this hinterland of icy mountains at the limits of human civilization. So, again, it's this idea of, okay, well, Boletaria is to the north. If it's a hinterland, where is there going to be a hinterland except, well, to the north? Like, it has to be further north than Boletaria, right? If, like, yeah. like, there's people everywhere else. There's people to the west, people to the east, people to the south. So it's like, okay, well, I guess there's only north. And then um, it's at the limits of human civilization. So we know that the northern limit area was supposed to be an area for the giants. And again, it says of human civilization, it doesn't mean civilization total. So there could totally be, like, giants and non-humans living and settling there. And that's maybe part of the reason why humans haven't settled further north but it all makes sense because again it's a bo- it's bordering boletaria up there and we see like the, there's this like little like fortress structure and then there's this long bridge over what looks like a lake with like maybe a river um seemingly up there and yeah. then like uh this large um like city or something structure and we don't know what they were originally going for right before the area was cut we only see i think the first area of the game like i think we only see like the the first like part because each level in demon souls is generally divided into like three parts i think boletaria is four um but the general idea is that you have these um these various parts and they give you like sort of like different like flavors for each area like one of them has like a different theme going forth than the other and we know the first area was gonna be like this massive fortress area which is kind of like this little thing we see down here on the south like the southeast side of the lake and who knows maybe we were gonna go down into like a cave or something and come out and eventually reach a giant like i don't know city in like a frozen lake or something who knows mm-hmm. but like this seems to be the best candidates i have here on the map for where these lands okay. go like i said i think latria is the most variable because it could be further south it could be who knows where some person thought some have suggested that maybe it's where this you see like this rose compass between one and three but yeah that just seems like it's a rose compass there's also one we see in the ocean but like yeah mm-hmm. we go through all of this the point being made is that boletaria is this giant country which is expanded and we see these other countries and lands which seem to have been done there so like is stone fang tunnel for example part of boletaria like was it like incorporated into like the boletarian empire so to speak 
Maybe we like it's never said explicitly, so it's only at least hinted that they are heavily influenced by Boletari and they're partially running their operations. But you know, uh, you can also see that they may they, the fog ends up going as far as maybe four as we see. So it looks like um, did Boletari get that far? We don't see too much influence, but it's possible because we know like Ulan, one of the knights serving in like I guess Boletari's round table essentially. She's mentioned as being a uh, a barbarian warrior essentially. Uh, she's a heroic barbarian warrior, but still a barbarian warrior, and she has um, these barbarian legions which come with her. So at least suggests that there has been contact with the um, barbarians from the Shrine of Storms and stuff that are meant. But that, again, that's for something to talk about later. And then okay, so but yeah, that should answer the question on like how is it where like how is the world as the setting that we know of and we explore? How is all that arranged? That seems to cover it. Perfect. Thank you. So now I had a couple of questions about the monumentals. Okay. And you mentioned it before, so we can go through this, you know, quickly. quickly <laughs> <if you like. laughs> um, so the word monumental, what is it in Japanese and what does it mean? It, it, it's the same like archstones. It uses the it uses the kanji for necessity key like something like required unlike keystone which is very nice easy simple translation for that term the monumentals are called the key men so the idea with calling them the monumentals is that they are the essential like they are like they are the most important like essential beings or persons that are responsible for keeping the nexus running and together so the idea would be that the the archstones these keystones are only functioning because these key men are kind of fueling it. And you see the monumental rule reference how, uh, like, you know, like, don't bother me. I'm trying to concentrate. I need to use all my power to think, and as she explains in the Japanese, right. in order to, she needs to concentrate, essentially, in order to, like, use her power. And the implication is that they're using their souls, their ability to think, and their concentration. Because they're immortal, essentially. Like, the monumental makes a point, like, they can't die. Like, she's essentially bound there. They're all, like, kind of part of this nexus network, right? Like, the, that the mm. archstones have all set up. So they can't really die. You know, they're part of, like, the larger hive mind. It's not, like, this but the idea is being is that they're devoting all of their mental energy essentially in a literal sense their mental energy in order to keep the the archstones bound like kind of keep the ties binding the world together um functional and that's again why as we see there's like a bunch of bodies of all these monumentals because we see in the cutscene yeah. there was many of them when the archstones were first being set up and we see that they seem to all be dead by the time we arrive and the implication seems to be is just that you know like they ran out of juice <laughs> Yeah, so you're saying they're immortal, and at the same time, it seems like the Nexus, I guess, is like sucking the power out of them to keep going. Essentially, yeah. They essentially exist to fuel the system they set up in order to keep the world together, which is why at the ending, it's met, the narrator mentions that, you know, the world needs a new monumental. Now, once again, we have lands which disappear and they won't return and all that. So a new monumental needs to be like sort of take the stand and do all, all this because, you know, the old one is like the last one. And if there was like, I don't know, like dozens of them required for like some hundreds of years just to keep things running there like you're gonna need a new one at least and the idea is that we're this heroic figure so we have the soul that could like help be the fuel so to speak you know kind of like i don't know like link in the fire and becoming fuel for a flame you know just saying <laughs> actually good point yeah. so in this case it's the souls that are fueling the nexus yes so like 
you can think of it basically of like if soul arts are used like as magic your mind your soul is being used to like fuel like soul arrow or something right like soul arrow is literally like you take a little bit of your soul and you're like Foo! now of course you never it's never a significant enough portion that it's like very rarely do souls actually use like your soul currency mechanic or anything related to your like soul or your levels or anything in order to affect you on a personal level and demon souls did play with an idea of like making the monumental mortal at some point we don't know the exact context for how that would have occurred if you killed her she would be very surprised she's like but i'm the monumental so loki let me ask you does it make you think that the nexus is incredibly inefficient where it takes like immortals to power it and in the end the nexus kills them anyway well yeah well the idea seems to be that they're immortal because they're part of the nexus like you're kind of plugged in right like you're part of the machine oh like the matrix yeah kind of the idea is that the monumentals and this is very obvious looking at like their silhouette and stuff is they were designed with this idea of like a buddha basically right so the idea is that they're these enlightened like higher beings so to speak like they have like elevated themselves by becoming part of the nexus of course obviously it plays into the idea of like you know we have the knowledge we know like we've learned from our mistake we know we've obtained enlightenment so now like we're advising you on how to avoid our fate and what to do in order to make things right and you know all that right so the idea to make the mentor character so to speak but the purpose with the monumental and, and all of like that is to make it sort of portrays that they are sort of these higher beings now like they've plugged themselves into the bonds of that tie reality together the fabric of reality has now sort of been sewed back up right they've become part of the thread if the archstone is the needle and they are the thread eventually that thread tethers right that like it, it gets weak and the idea is that the monumental can only supply that thread that keeps everything tied together so long as they have souls of which to kind of hold the binder strong after the second scourge we see there's there's only one left already and she seems like she's not long for this world that's really insightful. I didn't look at it that way before. That's really cool. Thank you, Loki. Glad to hear that. And so the monumental chills in the Nexus. And can you tell me, what is the Nexus in Japanese? So the Nexus is like the, the linchpin temple. You know the Titanite demons in Dark Souls, right? Like the, and just the general idea of Titanite, right? So that kanji for Titanite is actually literally bond stone. And they're not Titanite demons, they're bond demons. So similar to how like there's chaos demons um in Dark Souls, and they're like kind of like their own like, I guess, subspecies of quote unquote demon. We have bond demons, which are their own subspecies, which is this idea that they are are of course derived from Titanite, which are bond stones. And it, it ties into this idea of bonding and kind of ties and holding things together, which fits into the whole forging thing. So in Demon Souls, the idea is that the same thing, but instead of translating as bond, it's more appropriate to translate as a linchpin because the idea is that the nexus is called the linchpin temple this idea that it is sort of like this as we see it's like this giant like stone uh i guess once again like temple kind of enshrines and i don't know if it's necessarily a place of worship but it's more so like this kind of like place that the old one is being sealed and all that and then obviously the monumentals are there so maybe there's sort of the idea of who gets honored there and then the archstones are sort of like all like the pieces but it is the linchpin that holds all of them together like it's the centerpiece so to speak and as i mentioned earlier it's this idea that the nexus is the quote-unquote quarterstone that holds together boletaria so like the only reason that boletaria this giant country that's been consumed in the fog is still able to exist is because the arch is because the nexus has sort of kept the archstones to help keep it sort of linked together even as the fog and the demons have consumed or taking away all the souls and all that Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And um, you also mentioned that you have a theory as to where the Nexus is actually located. 
So, <laughs> what happened was, I asked Loki to reveal his theory where the Nexus is actually located. And then Loki's internet just went down and did not restart for like half an hour. The monumental inside my computer just died. All the power that was binding the reality <laughs> of the internet. <laughs> so, I guess we're just gonna have to have a part two. Yeah. It's a point. <laughs> it's a point. <laughs> yeah. Um... So, Loki, yeah, thank you so much for coming! Well, I'm happy to be here, and I can't wait to be here for part two. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was super informative, super awesome, we learned so much. We all know that, in truth, though, it was the curse of Richard that dragged my computer down. He didn't like that he wasn't invited here. <laughs> yeah, plot twist, I didn't even invite Richie, I didn't even tell him this was happening. Oh. He's, co he's coming, he's coming to kill us. He's coming, I know it. <laughs> Doing it. He's here to drag me into the abyss! I know it! We're here, aren't you, Richard? You're listening! Sorry I'm late, uh, I was playing Demon Souls and I got stuck on the fight with True King Allen.